Welcome to The Power of Data, the podcast by Dun & Bradstreet. Data is everywhere, and there is more created every second of every day. Join us to hear from leaders unlocking the value of data. Hello, and welcome to The Power of Data podcast. I'm Nick White, head of DMB Accelerate, and today I'm delighted to be joined by James Fox, Managing Director of MIA and Regional Customer Officer, Financial Services at BAE Systems Digital Intelligence. Welcome, James. How are you doing today? Really good. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite, Nick. Thank you, and welcome again. Before we dive in, I wondered if you'd mind sharing for our listeners a little bit about your background and career history, and then we'll talk a bit about BAE Digital Intelligence. Sure. People can't see, it's on a podcast, so there's lots of grey hair here. I've got about 25 years industry experience, graduated with a management science degree in the UK, and I've worked for a number of product and software consultancies, actually in a few different industries, most notably in the shipping and maritime industry, doing real-time software. But I found my way to an organisation called Detica in about 2005. Detica were then acquired by BAE Systems. So I joined as a management consultant doing client-side work. And then in about 2010, 2011, I moved into our financial services team. A full circle for me because I've actually done my work experience in a retail bank. I used to work in banks during university six months a year. For the last 12 years, I have been in the financial services team, project managing, delivery leadership, selling within that region. And for the last two years now, I've been leading our Europe, Middle East and Africa region. Great. Um, and James, what's the size and scale of the, the operation in EMEA now for financial services at BAE? Yeah, so we're probably about 300, 350 people. And revenue well, orders will be something like 70, 75 million sterling annually. We had a great year last year, best ever for us, actually, which was a real triumph in the context of everything going on. But yeah, it, it's, it's pretty buoyant at the moment. Congratulations and, and well done on the success. I think a lot of our listeners will know of BAE Systems, but lesser known will be the digital intelligence business. I wondered if for their benefit, could you talk a little bit about the mission of digital intelligence in the context of financial services for those who maybe don't know the business? Well, BAE Systems, famous for making submarines and aircraft carriers, for sure, right? That's the first thing I'll probably think about. But actually, quite a tight alignment between the values and the approach from both businesses and what I mean by that is BA Systems Group is all about protecting society and defending and that's the same so that's why they purchased the financial services business originally was to help secure UK PLC and actually the border globe around financial crime so from our perspective within digital intelligence which is a subset of the BA Systems Group you're talking to me the financial services team Fighting financial crime is our complete core mission using our network real platform. We've got teams who are industry, products, technical experts, but completely embedded in anti-financial crime culture. So we work with eight of the top 10 banks in EMEA and most of the largest banks globally. Great. And that focus on financial crime, that's all aspects of financial crime. Obviously, you've got anti-money laundering, you've got things like modern slavery. It touches all spectrums of what we call financial crime. Yeah, I mean, economic crime is obviously a massive lump of things, and we can talk a bit about that later. But if we kind of narrow it down to financial crime, which traditionally is the kind of compliance and anti-money laundering space, you're quite right. Our focus is kind of a broad gamut. We're one of the, the vendors who can kind of do everything, should we say, our enterprise player. You know, we can absolutely provide solutions around anti-money laundering, anti-bribery corruption, counter-terrorist financing, payment fraud, customer screening, transaction filtering, 
all those things, your customer due diligence, of course, which is super relevant for our partnership about how we might use data better to risk score and onboard people. The whole gamut you can get from us. James, and obviously in the world today, it's very, very poignant. The recent conflict that we see in Ukraine and Russia, sanctions and how that's impacting the fight against this situation we see unfolding. I guess your clients are leveraging your capability more than ever. Yeah, I mean, so we obviously provide the platform uh, that we list, you know, World Share, Acuity, or whoever it is, or they have a, a list provider. Those lists are imported to Net Revealer. We'll scan the lists against their transactions, their names, and all their customer account and onboarding to protect them and ensure that they are doing business with the right people and not exposing themselves unnecessarily. So, yeah, it's super topical at the moment. Great. And it's a nice segue into our relationship and where I see our partnership evolving. We've been working together for a little while now, but the power of DMB's content, the beneficial ownership, specifically in the context of financial crime, how do you see our partnership adding value and the benefits it brings to your clients today? Where do I start? I guess there's probably quite a lot to cover in that one. So look, frankly, it's a really fragmented market in terms of what's out there. We've got loads of providers of data, loads of providers of software, loads of providers of infrastructure, business processes change. There are companies who do that. There are system integrators. There are product providers. There are local providers. There are international providers, all of which makes it super hard these days to have one vendor to have all the answers to anything and provide the best solution. So ultimately, this is where partnerships come in. We like to call it partner ecosystem. I don't know what you guys are calling it at the moment, but you know how interoperable you are and how you can plug in, whether it's plugging in data or integrating at a technical level or having your business processes being aligned is now really, really, really important. And we see more and more of that from the market, a need to be able to seamlessly integrate. So we're working hard to build out our technology and delivery partners. So really delighted to be working with you guys as a technology partner. And I think it's going to be very exciting how we can align Dunham Bradstreet's excellence and expertise, data, corporate records, UBO, UBO medicine, you know, with our own CDD, KYC solutions, so we can really enhance existing customers. So at the highest level, I see that. But if I went into the actual benefits, I could see two or three specific things that I think will be really, really beneficial. Frankly, there is like so much data out there. It's crazy. IDC is saying that by 2025, there are 175 million zettabytes, apparently, 175 trillion gigabytes. I had to to look that up. But basically, 30% of the world's data is going to need real-time processing by 2025. 30%. So these numbers are massive. Just really hard to comprehend or to put into context. But ultimately, with that kind of data explosion, you've got to think how you work. You've got to rethink it. And so it's where automation comes in. How do you do things faster? This is where, by us doing the heavy lifting, we can let the clients focus on the value-add tasks, you say, the detection, the investigation, the piece they really need to do. So I see that as benefit number one. I completely hear your comment on the proliferation of, of data, and it's about relevance now. It's, it's not about having access to content. I think when I started in this industry 20-odd years ago, getting access to content was challenge number one. But nobody has that challenge anymore. It's about relevance and, and being able to, to interpret the content you have access to. And I see DMB's commercial content helping to create a little bit of relevance, a bit more relevance for, for our mutual customers and your technology helping to inform the decisions that underpin the data that's being provided. I, I read an article about there's been more data created in the last two years 
than had existed ever for the history before. It's unbelievable. By the way, Nick, I've got to say, uh, I know the uh, listeners can't see this video, but if you've done 20 years, you've had a significantly easier 20 years than me. I don't see any greys. <laughs> You're doing pretty well. I tell you what, there's a lot of dye involved. I agree. I think the second point I make on top of that is that I think there's a benefit to the partnership from a functional perspective as well. You know, the addition of DMB as a data source into Net Reveal makes it a richer solution. It's really going to enhance the ability of customers to verify that UBO. You know, well, who are we really doing business with? And this is so important. Transparency, clarity in the space is now a major reputational issue. If we go really topical again, you know, you only got to look at the Credit Suisse leak and look at the potentially embarrassing people that they have on a client list, all of whom they could have made a risk-based decision around if they'd had a better understanding of the UBO. And so I think that's where us working together can really benefit the customers. I think the final point I make for the partnership is about customer experience. All of us now are probably dealing with many financial services firms. You know, it used to be in the old days, you know, I'm a customer of Lloyd's for 35 years or I'm a customer of Barclays in the UK, whatever, and you stayed there. Whereas now people tend to pick and choose and they open a bank account for this or they take a loan here or they buy no pay later with somebody else. And all those things, they want to do quickly. They want to do it fast. And it's quite frictionless. So when those other firms are onboarding someone, they don't want to be like, oh, fill in a manual form, take 30 days or whatever. I think the integration of tightly working together or an interoperable partnership where you can seamlessly get data and get data out, integrate nicely in a frictionless way, it'll really help increase the confidence around the risk scoring. It smooths the new acquisition of clients process for our customers, speeds up onboardings. And all of this, we can bring together into the NetRiver platform all of which reduces total cost of ownership. So it's a pretty positive uh, view forward, I see. Thanks, James. I think customer experience, not only for the end client that said financial services is trying to onboard, I also think about it from a lens of, of the buying experience of a said bank who's maybe out in the market looking for a new solution, has data, consultancy, technology, middleware, lots and lots of different people that they need to kind of figure out how they fit in this ecosystem. And if you've got two or three of the market leaders in each of their area that are aligned, used to working together and have a mutual value statement, it helps them to make a decision to, to move in that direction. So yeah, I'm, I'm delighted and look forward to, to all the success we'll have together. I'm going to change tack a little bit here and move into the market, James. And I guess as we, we touched on a little bit earlier, we're in some very difficult situations here in Europe. We're just out of a pandemic. When we look at the things that are keeping our, our customers awake at night, the biggest challenges they're facing today, mm. what do you see those being? And I guess the following question from there is, what does digital intelligence do to help solve those problems? A very good question, Nick. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt right, the pandemic has had a big impact on these financial institutions, if I can say that, you know, about the way they think about how they detect, process and prevent financial crime. Big thing. But when I think of the big picture, I think there's kind of three things, again, I'd, I'd call out that are challenges. Firstly, the sophistication of threat actors. So how smart are the people who are trying to either defraud or commit financial crime? Right? That's forced new behaviours. The second thing I'd talk about would be regulatory change. It never stops. The only constant is there's more change. There's more regulation coming down and that has only accelerated. So we've got to think about that. 
And then the, the third one is probably about customer preferences. We talked a bit earlier about the frictionless experience, the onboarding of clients. I think customer expectations in a remote working or a different way is changing the way they interact and behave with these financial institutions. So all three of those are actually having an impact on our customers. So I go to the first one around the sophistication of threat actors. But how do you stay on top of that? How do you stay current? with everything that's going on, because we've seen a real increase in the level of sophistication and agility and amongst those threat actors in the last few years. They're pretty much often able to bypass you know, existing controls, whether it's like a rules-based approach or a simplistic type thing there. So actually, what you're going to put in place is going to be much more sophisticated to ensure that they're unable to profit from the, their own criminal businesses. So your compliance team has got to be able to move fast They've got to be able to respond quickly to the challenges they're seeing. And you've got to have a solution that enables you to iterate and be agile. You can't kind of stick something in once and just leave it anymore because actually the data changes, the market changes, and you've got to be able to tune it up and tune it down and respond so that you're bringing out the right alerts and investigating the right things. So that's that's pretty important. I said before, you know, the only constant is change and regulatory change. So increasingly small world, cross-border, global nature of, of everything. There's multiple regulators looking at different things, prioritising different aspects of financial crime and enforcement. There's a few different ways you can look at that. You know, In Europe, you've got the changes by the European Commission and the EBA in 2021, all looking to take place by 23. This is going to strengthen AML policy and control, but it's... The newer regulation around crypto and VASPs are going to kick in as well. And in the USA, they've had the 2020 Anti-Money Launder Act to support existing requirements. So there's change all over the place. And if you're a multinational institution who's operating in multiple territories, how do you have a platform or something in place that is ready and appropriate for North America and for EMEA and perhaps for, for, for South Africa and also Asia? So there's a big challenge there about actually how do you manage to spend the change for your own financial crime tooling process and people? Big thing. I don't know what you guys see about that. It's one of the biggest challenges, right, is you've got this take one of the big super majors they, they'll have a, their own kind of set of governance and policy and then you've got the regional regional nuances that need to be applied and they change so much that's probably the toughest thing to keep up to speed with is is new regulation new sanctions new pieces of guidance that is tricky how do you apply like local configuration or local tailoring i say it in the context of a global framework and a, a global thing and all the mega banks have that all the universal banks when you go across will have that challenge so it gets interesting actually when you get into well we're like an enterprise player so we've got a, a very configurable solution but i think for some of the fintechs that that level of configuration and a multi-tenancy environment it's quite hard actually very very difficult then from a technology lens this migration from on-prem massive security challenges around letting data out their organisation to, to SaaS deployments and that making it more agile, you must have seen that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the whole cloud thing, is, is, you know, cloud's been the coming thing for, for years now. And it is interesting because even, even if clients aren't actually doing anything about it, they've all got a cloud-first strategy, which drives a conversation. And, you know, we're seeing um, quite a lot of clients are obviously interested in, you know, buying a hosted solution, but increasing volume of clients also have their own cloud strategy, their own private cloud and looking for vendors to be able to deploy into that and run managed services on their private cloud. So all kind of different configurations or possible combinations are out there. But yeah, very relevant conversations. Yeah, I think it brings us nicely onto the next topic, really, which is digital transformation in the context of financial services. You know, if you open a conversation with a bank, 
mention digital transformation, you're going to get 20 minutes of uh, yeah, these are the reasons why we are and aren't doing this. What are the big, outside of the banks themselves, what are the big emerging trends that you're seeing in technology that are helping mitigate terrorist financing, money laundering? And I guess, what are you guys thinking about longer term? You know, economic crime is enormous. It's hundreds of billions of pounds a year. And we're looking further down onto financial crime, where we're focused. Because actually, as a business, we've got quite a bit of heritage outside of pure financial crime space. You know, we've helped the government fight tax fraud in the UK for, for many years. We've run multiple instances of insurance claims fraud solutions to use social network analytics to prevent, you know, insurance claims fraud, which, which is a big, big problem. And we've done that in consortiums. We've done it for individual firms. We've done it globally. So we've got lots of heritage in this, but which is where, where we're going as a business. Our mission or our ambition would be to remove first line triage. It encompasses a lot because to be able to remove first line triage for an investigator, what that requires is automation and technology and process to come together to take away some of this heavy lifting. So we are focusing our investment on technologies people and process that all kind of drive towards that goal. So we're making lots of product and the types of machine learning and, and robotics and AI that helps with that. We're educating and upskilling our people to be able to work with the banks and institutions to streamline their processes. And we're also looking at infrastructure. So all of those things kind of come together to go towards that, that goal. I'm just thinking for those listeners of the podcast who maybe don't know what first line triage is, do you want to expand on that a little bit for them, James? So first line triage. So imagine in an AML compliance or anti-money laundering system, what happens is that the bank or the institution runs some detections, they've got some rules or some AI that says these are the things you're looking for, and they push the data through that. And if it finds a match or whatever, it pushes it at what we call an alert through to an investigator and they all get pushed through thousands of these things every day mm. and first line triage is kind of the process where you kind of go yeah that's interesting that's not interesting that's interesting that's not interesting it can be very repetitive because whether you've got a misconfiguration on your alerts or you've had a new batch of data that has a particular anomaly in it it can push all sorts of things through which is why false positives are such a chronic issue in the industry right where you get up to 99 false positives so you've got hundreds of people sat there frankly looking at stuff and it's the old needle in the haystack problem so what we are trying to do is to help people see the wheat from the chaff to that man, that first line, which is quite a low skill process, is often outsourced. You know, it could be offshore. Hundreds of people sitting, not interested. You, you can actually uh, apply some AI, some technical solutions to help you effect filter through to the stuff that's worth looking at. So the technology around how do you help really push down to the alerts that are worth investigating is where I'm going. And when I say first line, there tends to be a triage process. There's hundreds of people at the first line, then there's fewer at second line, then you get the really skilled guys and girls at third line who are the expert investigators because you don't want them spending time on the low-hanging fruit of the simple stuff, which we believe you could fix by a combination of technology and process. That's really, really helpful, James. And it's interesting, false positives for me is, is a term being in this industry for a long time automatically makes me think about AML screening. <laughs> but false positives to now is normally related to uh, COVID tests and negative and positive tests. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting how that's now grown, grown a different meaning for me. Yeah, exactly. When you think about that triage effort, the typical Pareto rule apply that 80% of the time is spent there in that first line where actually it should be spent further up. 
Honestly, I would struggle to give you an exact number on it. But what I can say is I agree with the principle. The principle is how do you get more of this high value resources time spent on high value activities? So you are spending, and you know, everyone knows that one of the biggest costs of the business is the staff cost. And whether they're onshore, offshore, whatever, it's still going to be a big ongoing cost for an institution in terms of that total cost of ownership and hitting their bottom line. So if you can do something that automates and removes the need for that and uses a technical solution to help slim it down, we believe that's a, a good step forward. I wouldn't say that idea is rocket science. I think there's many people who are looking at different ways of doing this. I think we have an advantage by having kind of an end-to-end solution through the, the whole lifestyle, through the workflow, and via partnerships with yourselves where we can influence it in multiple ways, all of which are how do you deliver the best possible alert. Great. Thank you for that. Really helpful. My final question for you this evening is... It's really geared about the future and outside of the recent rebrands and change of name, what else can we expect to see on the horizon from BAE Digital Intelligence over over the next 18 months? Well, look, there's two parts. I'll say a couple of things about us and our business and a couple of things, market kind of things that I think are interested in coming up. First of all, with us internally, we're looking to launch more products. We put more money into things we've talked about. So we've got new versions of of our core platform coming out later this year. Going to be exciting in terms of looking at improvements and time to value, shortening deployment times, improved technology around. That's a key piece for us. We're also launching the second half of the year, cloud native next generation kind of technology aimed at lower tiers. So traditionally we've played with the tier one, tier two banks, a big enterprise play. You know, there's a mushrooming spread of financial institutions now offering services who are not traditional, right? So they're not a bank or insurer. It could be a fintech. It could be a regtech. I mean, the classic example I always use is, you know, the be Apple or Google or AWS, right? Now, they want to offer end-to-end seamless experience for their customer, and they want to own that whole value chain. And in that value chain, part of that's probably payments. Well, if you're in payments, then it's a regulated industry. And there's a regulated industry use a compliance solution. So what's super interesting for us is that our whole addressable market is changing because previously you were just selling to banks. Well, now you're selling to anybody who's offering any kind of financial product that is regulated. So you, you can move into a bunch of adjacent markets potentially. It could be the gambling sector. It could be really tight things like wealth management or private banking or auction house or things like that. But actually, it could be anybody who's offering payments or funding this. And lots of the big travel companies, for example, do that. That's an interesting space. So we are launching some next-gen cloud product, which will be a different price point aimed at tier three, tier four. And I think that will be really interesting to see how we get on with that. Thank you, James. And yourself, personally, what does the rest of the year hold for you? Are you going to manage to get away from the UK at any point? Thank you, Nick. That's a good question. When the COVID all kicked off, I was actually um, in Singapore and I haven't been on a business trip since. But last week, I got to Paris. Well, what about yourself? Have you got anything planned? Nothing planned at the moment. But very much looking forward to being able to travel again and actually meet people in person. I had my first client meeting, so actually seeing a client in person last Friday, which was so bizarre <laughs> but really looking forward to meeting people in person thank you so much for your time james i'm delighted that we have a partnership with the organization i'm really glad to have met you and thank you to our listeners for, for listening to the power of data podcast great to talk to you today nick thanks very much for your time enjoyed it hopefully see you soon find out more about how dun and bradstreet can help your business be better contact us at marketinguk at dnb.com And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.